0: Welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. This is a message that Tom Job gave on Sunday morning, January sixteenth, two thousand twenty-two, from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter twenty.
1: I'm not really supposed to be here today because I was supposed to be. I'm well, so I was supposed to be at this retreat in at Windy Gap in North Carolina to all weekend and um, be, but. And it was for college young life leaders from the University of Alabama and the University of Georgia. So the, one, so, uh, the ones from the University of Georgia were going to get there. It was like a Friday night, Saturday leave about now on Sunday. But the ones from the University of Georgia were going to get there last night because they had a parade to go to yesterday for their national championship. So they asked the other people from the University of Alabama, can we just switch it to Saturday, Sunday, Monday? And the people from Alabama said, we don't have a parade to go to, so no. We're keeping it on what it was. And so, But they started talking about snow. So it was going to snow. And, um, it, so it was going to start to snow. And then I would be leaving about now, and apparently it's building up to like two feet of snow. So they canceled it on Friday afternoon. And I was glad because I was kind of nervous about it, and I don't, just nervous about driving through the Smokies in the snow. And it, because a few years ago, like I think it was about maybe seven or eight years ago, in January, I went over to Italy, and we took a bunch of kids from Milan, Italy, to Geneva, Switzerland. And we drove over, and it was starting to snow a lot. And we drove over Mont Blanc in the snow at midnight. And you know, you're just like, "Are we to the top yet?" You're just kind of like the, all that, and it kind of scared me a little bit. And so, it kind of scared me a little bit the idea of doing that. And I hate that feeling. I ch- well, so and then Lee has a stomach bug. So I'm just going to tell you what I was going to tell them. But they, um, I hate the feeling of being scared. I. Sp- Especially being scared of things that I feel like Jesus is, you know, giving me to do and it scares me and I hate that like the, So when we used to live overseas, the part the scariest part for me was always flying. I hated it and the and It just scares me and your chances of being killed in an airliner accident Are one you're more likely to be killed in the United States from more people die of coconuts falling on their head literally and your chances of being killed by a in an airliner accident is one in 24, 248 million. And somebody said, "Yeah, but there's still one chance in 248 million. It's just not going to happen." But so one time I had to fly from Milan to America by myself. So Tina took me to the to the airport, and we were praying and. And I said, God, would you just give me like a little old grandmother to hold my hand on the plane while we're taking off? Just, we were just kidding, kidding. I was about 30 at that time. So um, So I get on this plane. There's this old couple. They're like in their 80s. And they were just coming back from Israel, their 14th trip to Israel. And she had a doctorate degree from Union Theological Seminary. We just got talking. And she said, are you nervous? And I said, maybe and she said do you want me to hold your hand while we're taking off i was like are you kidding me and so she did but you know so this this month is the beginning of my 10th year out at the morgan county prison every week and just going out there which it doesn't i've i'm at the beginning, it was scary. So, like, because you, you go, it's a half a mile. Like, you walk, when you go through security, and then you walk a half a mile through the prison yard back to where the classes are. So, the first time I ever walked through there on this, and there's, they call it the Boulevard, and there's like a bike path this way and a bike path this way, and the inmates are supposedly walking single file this way, single file that, and you walk in the middle of them. And I just had never been in an environment like that. And then, so you walk down through the middle, and I didn't know what, you know, what do you say to, I, like, what's up? I, you know, I just didn't know what to say to him, and I was so freaked out. And then, but now, it, I mean, now it never scares me at all. So the other day, I was walking out, and there's a guy named Red, who's, um, he's about 6. 10, 9, 10, weighs about 320. He's just huge, red-headed guy. And I was walking back out, talking, and I was just talking to somebody, we were talking all of a sudden, bam! And I, Red had just stepped out in the sidewalk so I could walk right into him, you know, he just to, just to mess with me. And I was like, Red, you know, he bends down, gives me this hug and everything. If that had happened the first month I was going out there, I would have like totally never, never gone back, but now, but it's just um, oh man. But so I hate that. So I I hate being afraid. And so I was just thinking, maybe in the next while, I'm going to try to talk Lee into the maybe both of us could do this, but just talk about people in the scriptures who had to do things where they had to be brave. And how do you be brave when other people maybe aren't or whatever? And so um, what I was going to talk to these kids, these college kids about was people in the New Testament that you don't know what their name is because you're never told, but they would encourage you to be brave. Because I mean, Young Life leaders, I don't know if you know this, they have to be incredibly brave. I mean, they go on high school, just the high school campuses, just talking to kids they don't know. Just go, I mean, it's so scary. One time I was talking to regional directors of Young Life, like state response people responsible for entire states. And I was talking to the regional director of some Midwestern state. And I said, let me ask you something. Are you a Young Life leader, a volunteer Young Life leader in your town? He said, that is amazing. That you're asking me that he said I haven't done it for 10 years and I realized I was getting out of touch so this year I started being a young life leader and I said how was it he said okay first time I went to the high school I parked my car went into the high school I took 10 steps I turned around I walked out I got in my car I was shaking and crying and I drove away that happened to me two times I said it's not easy is it he said no it is not easy but um, so I was just going to tell them about people that, you know, you don't know their name, but if you, but they could encourage you to be brave. So that, so, um, the first person I was going to talk to them about was, uh, um, so this was when Jesus, like the last days that he was in our world before he was arrested and he was walking through the city of Jericho. There were thousands of people following Jesus. There were thousands of people in Jericho for the Passover. They all kind of converged at this one moment and people, all the people, everybody had the same question. Is this the most important person who has ever breathed our air? Is this the most important person who has ever walked on our earth? Is this the person whose personal presence is going to overthrow empires and institute a global kingdom of love and goodness? You know, And there was a blind, it said there was a blind beggar by the gate. And he was listening to all this talk, You know, people talking, and could tell that Jesus was coming down the street and had heard about him and and you know maybe he heard these you know one woman saying to another is that him is that is that the one they're talking about yes that's him that is jesus i would have thought he would have been taller than that no that is him i've heard him several times he he tells the most wonderful stories all of a sudden this blind guy starts screaming as loud as he can son of david and it's just like who is screaming, son of David, son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. And they're like, dude, stop screaming. This is totally inappropriate. Like what, what if everybody just starts screaming to Jesus and he just started screaming louder. And son of David, have mercy on me. And, and, and he's like, you know, I, I know you've come to save the world. The world can wait a minute. I need you to help me. Because I believe you have a heart for people like me. I believe that. Nobody else believes it. I believe it. That's why I'm yelling to you. Ye- I believe you're the Lord of the unsolvable problem and the unlovable person. I believe my heart. Your, I believe your heart and my hurt are the perfect combination. And he just kept yelling. And you think, well, how? I don't exactly understand why you're saying this is somebody that we don't know their name. I have known this person's name since I was eight in VBS. This is blind Bartimaeus. You're talking about blind Bartimaeus. I'm not, well, actually, I'm not talking about blind Bartimaeus because in the Gospel of Matthew, when it tells the story of blind Bartimaeus, Matthew says there were two of them. There were two blind people. Two blind beggars together you think how does one person believe things that are difficult to believe about Jesus in the face of strong criticism and opposition he didn't he had a friend and I don't know whether it was Bartimaeus or I don't know whether it was his friend but one of them said Jesus is passing by. I think he cares about people like you and me. You do? Oh, yeah, I do. Remember what Isaiah said? That he would be, like, have, like, the mission of opening the eyes of the blind. That would be you and me, boss. So that, why why don't, why don't we just start screaming for Jesus to help us? And he's, like, screaming? I mean, people will think we're crazy. Do you really care what they think of you? I mean, in my opinion, if Jesus is passing through and they're not all screaming for him to help them, I think they're crazy. Why don't we do it together? You and I together, we could start screaming to Jesus and he would hear us if both of us do it. I'll do it if you'll do it. Okay, you go first. Hey, why don't we do it together? Okay, ready? One, two, three. Son of David, have mercy on us. So when you believe things about Jesus that are difficult to believe, and not many people believe them. A person in your life who believes it along with you is in some ways the most important person that you know. So like there was a time when the Apostle Paul, like when he was go- he went, he felt, I mean, he had a, st- I mean, He had a vision to do this. And so to go to this certain town and start to tell them about Jesus, which he did. And then he was arrested for it. Like he had a vision to go there. He went there. He was arrested. He was beaten. And he was thrown in a cell way back in the back of this jail. And he could have been back there sitting there just thinking, God, what, is up with this? I mean, like, I'm just doing what you're telling me. I'm just trying to tell them about Jesus. And this happens to me? Well, I mean, why do you treat me like this? But he didn't do that. And the reason is because he had a friend. And I don't know whether it was Paul, and I, or I don't know whether it was Silas. But one of them said, I don't know why this happened to us, but I do know, I do know that God loves us. You do? Yes, I do. How do you know that? Hello? We're telling everybody that Jesus died for their sins. Like Almighty God became a human being. To do that out of love? If he would do that out of love, no matter what, I don't know why this is happening, but it's not because he doesn't love us. And you and I both know that we both believe that he's making everything work out to some kind of plan. We don't understand, but this is part of a plan in some way. You think, I know so. Hey, why don't we just start singing? Like when you don't know what to do, do what you know to do. Let's just start singing and praising him together. Okay, I will if you will. And they just started singing praises to Jesus. And the guy that had beat them and locked them up was hearing this. And he was like, wow, these guys have, I just beat the crud out of them. They have something I don't have. And it was a matter of minutes before he was asking them, "How do I have what you have?" You know, so there in there was a guy in First Samuel chapter fourteen. There was a, this was a guy. His name was Jonathan. He was the son of the first king of Israel. And uh, I mean, they had these enemies. They just these horribly ferocious people called the Philistines, and they were just always surrounding them, and they couldn't get away from Philistines. for all I mean, it was just Philistines all the time. And so Jonathan was by himself, with, but he has his assistant. And there were some Philistines, and they were just so intimidated by them, but he wasn't. And there were like a bunch of Philistines up and above this kind of these um, two cliffs. And Jonathan said to his guy, let's go, I, I think that God... I mean, God, even the, I think we could go and attack them. And he's like, you and me he said, yeah, God, it doesn't matter if we have many people or just a few. We have the living God on our side. So I'm going to just step out here where they can see me. And if they say, come on up here, you guys, and get some of this, I'm going to take that as a sign that God's telling us to go. And so he said, Yo, Philistines. And they're like, whoa, why don't you come up here and get some of this? And they, and, uh, they went up and they killed 20 of them. I mean, he was just so brave. Well, it wasn't that they didn't get rid of the Philistines. But anyway, so it wasn't long before there was this Philistine who was nine feet, nine inches tall. And he would just walk out into this field where the Israelites were here, Philistines were here. And he would just like, oh, y'all. Well, his armor weighed 125 pounds. And so, but he was just this massive guy. Why doesn't somebody come fight me? Are y'all afraid to fight me? Y'all are such big babies. Why don't you come fight? And nobody would. Nobody, everybody was afraid to. So, but there was a, there was this one man and his, he had three of his eight sons were in the army. So he sent his youngest son, David, and said, would you take some cheese and bread to your brother? So he did. And there's this Philistine out there just smack talking to him. And he's like, let me go get him. And they're like, what? He said, I can do it. Said, it's, it's, it's not about what you have. It's about who you know. And I have the living God. I mean, I watch my dad's sheep. If, if a bear attack them or a lion attacks them, I punch him in the face. And if they don't run away, I'll, like the lion, I grab him by the beard and punch him till he's dead. And it's not me. It's just that God gives me the power to do that. I can do this. And he's like, whatever. And so he went out there and Goliath was like, you send this little dog out here? I mean, are you kidding me? And he said, you come to me with a shield and the sword. I come to you in the name of the living God and I'm going to kill you and cut your head off, which he did. And then then the Israelites were so pumped by that that they just chased all the Philistines away. And it said that Jonathan, when he saw David do that, His heart just swelled up and he just, like, you're my best friend. And it's like, are you kidding me? Jonathan was there for 40 days and watched that happen? What happened to you, bud? You used to have a friend like that. I mean, you, you used to have a faith like that. He was like, yeah. But it was only me. I didn't have a friend who believed like me until now. When you believe stuff about Jesus that is difficult to believe, and not many people believe it, those who believe it with you are the best friends you have. You know, so I was just thinking about, like, myself, and I've always, always, always needed that. I've always needed people in my life who believed things well that I was trying to believe poorly. Um, when I was about f- oh, 28, God gave me a friend. He was 65 at the time. He was like a a pastor. He was like a bivocational pastor. But he was the most joyful person I'd ever met. And I was looking for that. How do you be a joyful? I, I didn't know many joyful people. He was the most joyful person I had ever met and the sweetest and the kindest. And I learned that it was because he was extremely thankful to be forgiven of many sins and he loved Jesus very much. And that's what joy is made of, love and gratitude. And I realized you can do this. I'm watching this. I'm seeing this every Thursday. I spend the day with joy. You can do it. I could never repay him for what he did for me, for believing something well that I was trying to believe poorly. I've, I've had people that I've, people that I've read about that have been dead a long time. I've, I thought about when we sang that song, The Sands of Time. That was the favorite hymn of Charles Spurgeon. At his fu- they sang it at his funeral. It was the greatest preacher of the English speaking world of the 1800s. But a man who spoke, one of his best friends who spoke at his funeral was a man named Anthony Ashley Cooper, the seventh Earl of Shaftesbury. And he was one of the greatest human beings who, I mean, he was like Lord Grantham, you know, like one of those people who, you know, had like a billion dollars and all that stuff. And he was in the British Parliament. But he devoted, he just believed that if you love Jesus, The thing that God is the most effective way to share the message of Jesus is to love people and to help people and to help people who are having a hard time and just love them. And he gave his life and he gave his money and he fought for the improvement of people who lived in what they called insane asylums, which were horrible places, for the rights of the mentally ill. And he fought for the rights of children who were being forced to work naked in coal mines 16 and 17 hours a day when they were 6 and 7 years old. And he ended it. He fought and ended it. And he was a person who fought for the rights of chimney sweeps, who were boys who, when they were five and six years old, they were sent naked up chimneys. And if they didn't want to go, they would shove them up the chimney and start fires in the chimney. And they died of testicular cancer when they were 17 and 18 because of the creosote that they breathed in. And he fought for them. And he, he just fought for their rights. He, his parents were horrible. I mean, they were mean and cold, and he didn't really know them. But there was a woman who raised him when he was a, just a nurse that, were like, you know, that raised the kids. And she loved Jesus. Her name was Maria Millis. And she would teach him about Jesus and just loved him. She gave him a watch that he kept. She, she died when he was about 10. And she changed his life and gave him a watch that he kept his entire life. He started these schools called ragged schools that sent poor. That, that This was back when children, there were more seven times more children under the age of 10 in prison than in orphanages. But he started these schools for the poor kids Three hundred thousand kids went to the ragged schools and got an education. And one time, that watch got pickpocketed out of his pocket, and he just sent out the word to all the pickpockets in London: "Somebody's got my watch." And all of those kids loved him. And the next day, there was a ring at his door of his where he, down you know like place like Downton Abbey, and they opened the door and there was a burlap sack on the front porch. And they opened it, and there was a little boy inside. And he was holding that watch. And he said, if you please, sir, I'm sorry for stealing your watch. <laughs> and he sent him to school. <laughs> but um, one person said, no man has, in fact, ever done more to lessen the extent of human misery or add to the sum total of human happiness. but. Anthony Ashley, the seventh Earl of Shaftesbury, said this, let every effort sink into the ground compared to the one great effort to preach the doctrine of Christ crucified to every creature on earth, to every creature that can be reached on this habitable globe. He said the second coming of Jesus is the only answer to the sorrows of our world and why we don't pray for it. Every hour on the hour, I will never know. And I thought, that's what I'm talking about. And just people who believe well things that I would love to believe, and the fact that they believe them helps me to try to believe them better. But people who have helped me the most are people who believe things about Jesus right there beside me that I'm trying to believe with enthusiasm? So, OK, this this is, can I read you all something? This There's a book, about three or four years ago, I was helping at the high school with the ESL class. And they were reading a book called Esperanza Rising, which is about a young girl who was an immigrant from Mexico in the 1930s, came to Los Angeles, and everything that she went through. And I was wearing a copy for myself because they were reading it in English and I was wanting to read it in Spanish. And I was looking at the reviews, and this girl had written a review of this book. This is the best book ever. I want another one. Just picture it, Esperanza Rising 2. Just when you thought you had a favorite book, this one hits you in the face with a fish. And you're like, whoa, I love this book. No matter what anyone says, you should love this book. I will be in a club with you because you and me love this book so much. Read this book now, right now. Three exclamation points. Buy it, read it, love it, guaranteed. This is written by me, a 12-year-old. P.S., get this book now, last time. And I thought, you know, I just, I, I, I've had people in my life And they feel that way about Jesus. Like, Jesus is the best ever. No matter what anyone says, you should love him. I will be in a club with you because you and me love him so much. Love him right now. Believe in him. Love him. Guaranteed. This is written by me, a 67-year-old man. P.S. Believe believe in him. Last time, you know. But I just have people in my life like that. So, So I thought I was going to go to the Morgan County Prison to help. But I, I cannot tell you what God has given me. From brothers in Christ, some of the most wonderful people I have ever met Our inmates up there. Many, many people would relive 20 minutes of their life if they could. But they can't. And they go to prison for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. And they're in the most discouraging place in the state of Tennessee. And they come to know Christ and to walk with him. They are ninjas at staying encouraged and loving Jesus. And they have taught me more about it. And just to be around them makes me love him more. So this is a letter that we, I got, we got from a, a, a guy who loves this church, by the way. Just, but he said, good morning, my brother. Well, how? a lot of us know this. He's just a sweet friend. How refreshing, and this was during the time of, this was in 2020 when we we couldn't go up there and we were sending a a DVD of like the worship stuff that we were doing online. How refreshing to get a word from you. It fills my heart to have such friends as you and the entire Triple C family. I am truly blessed to have befriended a wonderful group of people who are spirit-filled and live a life of God and believe in the love that he is and has given to us all. I miss you all but God who is so rich in glory keeps us united in a way that COVID doesn't stand a chance. God is truly good. As I was reading the card you all sent, your service came on shortly after. My heart rang through the TV when we sang, my song, his own. That's the that's song, I'm righteous, forgiven, I'm totally clean. That's his song. And I got a little happy and the joy of tears filled my eyes because I know who holds me and I hold him right back. And then for whipped cream and sprinkles on top, Lee and my sister sang, you took my place. (laughs) And then the clapping was on and I cried out, thanking you all for being so good to me. Psalm 126, those that plant in tears will harvest with shouts of joy. Be blessed. Take care. Stay safe. Love you much. Your brother. So anyway, people who believe what you're trying to believe and they believe it well, they're your best friends. Um, As we come to take the bread and take the cup together and to remember what Jesus did for us and um, how he loved us and trying to get our heart around, how much we are loved, and what he did to pay for us and to make us his own, begin to have the joy that comes from love and gratitude and thankfulness of of being forgiven by him as you come. I want to read you another letter that I got from another friend. This was a friend of mine who was arrested and sent to prison when he was 25, came back from Vietnam. And committed an armed robbery, got life without the possibility of parole, and spent 45 years in prison, Morgan County, came to know Jesus, and just wrote this to encourage me one day. Whatever you need, he will give it to us. For example, he is the air we breathe. He is the food we eat. He is the water we drink. He is the very essence of our souls. If fallen in life in our faith or spirit, he is able to reach down and pick us up and stand us up. If we are stressed, troubled, or going through a crisis in our life, He can calm us and give us the peace we need to get past it. If we're sad and unhappy, He can give you the joy we need in our hearts and minds. If you need love, He will give you a heavenly, holy love that is godly and pure, that will last forever. If you feel you are all alone and no one cares, call on Him, for He cares. With Him, you will never walk alone. If you wish to enter into heaven, only He can walk you through those heavenly gates. Simply put, Jesus is the way to what you truly need. Jesus is the truth of what you surely need. Jesus is the life of everything. of those who believe and are saved.